I'm Luca. I'm Richard. And I'm Sarah. And this is Goodfellas, the podcast where we talk about being a man, dating, gender, and sex through the lens of our favorite movies and the trans, queer, and hetero experiences of our hosts. Here we are, week who knows when in social distancing and self-isolation, a world that can be pulled from some sort of dystopian book or Lynchian absurdist world, or even better yet, the more relevant world of Contagion. One of the many films people are consuming as of late for potentially reassuring or maybe simply just masochistic tendencies to each their own. So heads up, there are spoilers. Um, we'll be discussing how gender politics play out in a time when the world evolves into fear and panic. So there are gonna be discussions around violence, graphic surgery, as well as sexism and misogyny, and particularly chats around general anxiety and our own personal challenges that could be hard for some people. So if you're not in the best of headspaces, this might be a podcast you take in with some friends or save for a sunnier day. One final note, this is our first ever remote podcast, so excuse the Zoom audio. But with further ado, I will hand things over to Sarah. I'm joining you from inside my house, as I guess we all are these days. Luca, Richard, and I are recording Goodfellas remotely for the time being and foreseeable future. And our movie choice for this episode, as Richard said, may be kind of masochistic, uh, and it may not be for everyone, but it is currently one that's one of the top films being streamed around the world. Uh, it's Contagion, the 2011 thriller that's about a deadly pandemic that sweeps the world, infecting people and altering the lives of the film's ensemble of characters. Now, when you pitched Contagion as a movie we should talk about on Goodfellas, Richard, at first I was like, now, what does a very scary movie about a virus have to do with masculinity and gender? But actually, there's plenty. There's a lot going on in this thriller, which uses anxieties around sexuality as one way to ratchet up the tension on screen. So Contagion was made in 2011, directed by Steven Soderbergh, as you mentioned, Sarah, written by Scott C. Burns, who clearly was going through a health-focused phase because right after this, he wrote Side Effects, which was also directed by Soderbergh. And this movie has an all-star cast. Gwyneth Paltrow, Matt Damon, Lawrence Fishburne, Kate Winslet, Jude Law, John Hawks, the list goes on. And that was kind of one of the big selling points for this film was just how incredible this cast was. And just to give a brief synopsis, just to kind of get everyone up to speed. If you haven't seen the film, I'll just give IMDb synopsis. So soon after her return from a business trip to Hong Kong, Beth Emhoff dies from what is flu or some other type of infection. Her young son dies later the same day. Her husband, Mitch, however, seems immune. Thus begins the spread of a deadly infection. For doctors and administrators at the U.S. Centers for Disease Control, several days pass before anyone realizes the extent or gravity of this new infection. They must first identify the type of virus in question and then find a means of combating it, a process that will likely take months. As the contagion spreads to millions of people worldwide, societal order begins to break down as people panic. So I, I watched this film originally um, back in the day, but watched it again recently. And I was struck by the first images in the film, um, which are of Gwyneth Paltrow's character, Beth Emhoff, who's on the phone making a date with her lover. And who is, by the way, uh, played by Steven Soderbergh, um, just his voice. Other than a sheen of sweat on her forehead, 
Beth Emhoff has no inkling that she's been infected with an as undiscovered virus and is about to be very, very sick. She will die within a day or two, a death that's depicted really starkly and clinically and suddenly and shockingly, since she's um, the leading lady of this film for only, you know, about 10 minutes before she dies. But, you know, at the beginning of the movie, she's in an airport flying back to her home in Minneapolis from a work trip to Hong Kong arranging a layover in Chicago where she'll cheat on her husband who is shaggy relatable Mitch Emhoff uh, played by Matt Damon. He is the ordinary good guy of the film if there could be said to be one. So I thought it was interesting that the first transmission of the disease isn't by accident or some kind of attack, it's via infidelity. Beth is sort of like the bad girls of old Hollywood, the vamps who seduced men and had a great time, and then ended up dead by the end of the film. Uh, except in this case, Beth's shocking death is right at the beginning. I thought this was a this was a you know pretty interesting choice made. There's that scene at the end of Beth Emhoff, played by Gwyneth Paltrow. She's having the time of her life. She's in Macau. She's drinking fancy cocktails. She's gambling. Um, and of course, you know, you get this sort of like, she's laughing herself to her doom kind of, um, kind of situation. And I think that's one reason why contagion is so unsettling because it ignites these fears that we have about the contagion of different types of contagion, uh, illicit sexuality, of women's infidelity, of the contagion of other cultures and ethnicities. Mm -hmm. And if you, if anyone thinks that Beth cheating at the beginning isn't really worth commenting on, um, I thought it was also funny that the theme of female sexuality continues with Mitch Emhoff's teenage daughter. After his wife and son both die, he's left to guard the health of his daughter, Jory which means guarding her sexuality as well as he keeps the local teenage boy who has a crush on her away from her. Uh, at one point, the boy sneaks off with her and is about to kiss her when Mitch literally pulls him off her with a shotgun in his hand. So he is the classic American dad moving to guard his daughter's virginity, but with an extra layer of plot on top. The film's sexual tension to me only feels settled when, after a vaccine is developed, the two teens are allowed to go to the prom together, and we see teenage Jory in her pink dress, chastely slow dancing with her, with her boyfriend to you 2 in the Emhoff's living room. Mitch, who has just been crying over images of his dead wife in the closet upstairs, now watches his daughter at the bottom of the stairs, knowing that even if his wife cheated after a night of drinking and gambling in Macau and spread a disease all around the earth, he's safeguarded his daughter's health and purity in time for a symbolic debut at the prom. Yeah, it was interesting. I found almost that these two characters, Gwyneth Paltrow, Beth, and Mitch, kind of played into like really one-dimensional cliches that didn't give, there was no attempt to kind of unravel Beth's story. What was their marriage like? What led to her feeling the need to cheat? I'm not here um, justifying 
adultery in any sense. But, you know, Matt Damon's character ultimately is the all-American relatable dad. And she's just this vilified woman. And especially in terms of the gruesome surgery that befell her, in terms of them opening up her brain, I mean, it kind of elicited... I don't know if you remember back in... Sometime in the mid-2000s, Paris Hilton was in a movie called House of Wax. I do not remember that movie. So she was in a horror movie called House of Wax where she was brutally killed off. And again, you know, it kind of brought back these memories about how Paris Hilton was vilified and seen in the media. She was just ultimately like a vilified woman, kind of in the same way that Gwyneth Paltrow around that time, because Goop came out in 2008, and this Mm -hmm. is 2011, vilified, and even brought back some of the feelings that I've, and the the, the media I've been kind of like reading with regards to Carol Baskin in Tiger King. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that documentary series. I would Mm -hmm. argue it's, probably the epitome of what is wrong with humanity in terms of the type of entertainment we create and then the way we consume it. Joe Exotic, who is the Tiger King, is this misogynistic, awful human that, you know, straight up threatens Carol Baskin's life in the documentary. And the whole episode that's basically devoted to putting forward this circumstantial evidence around Carol Baskin and whether or not she murdered her ex-husband. But there's nothing concrete about it. And just the way that we kind of tend to heroicize men who are deeply flawed, but vilify women who Mm. don't conform to what we believe is a good woman or an ideal woman, I just find inherently problematic um, and can't help but draw the parallel between how Gwyneth Paltrow's character was this one-dimensional, terrible adulteress who then gets killed off in gruesome fashion and... Gwyneth was seen kind of in the media at that time just speaks to kind of like the inherent misogyny that I think is constantly throughout media. I'm sure, Sarah, are you as someone who works in media very aware of that? Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts. Um, glad you brought that up. I, I think on YouTube, the scene where Gwyneth gets killed off, there, I think there, there's at least one comment um, from, from people going, hey, you know, feels so good to see Gwyneth die a horrible death <laughs> because she is this vilified kind of like figure um, out in the media. And I'm pretty sure uh, the way she dies was absolutely playing off that a hundred percent that there was going to be like a, a bigger impact of having her brain sawed open on camera versus having, you know, a, a different type of figure. And also too, just the, like how powerful, rich women are perceived a lot of the time that they are vilified how did they get to where they were either they slept through the ranks or they were backstabbing or something like it's it's a really awful portrayal of women in power that i feel kind of is partially what made up Gwyneth's character in the movie yeah i don't know luca what are your thoughts oh let's give, uh, give some context too here maybe just luca tell you didn't get a chance to see the film correct Tell us why. Oh yes, yes. Um, in the timing right now, I'm. I guess I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be just like really conscious of the way that like anxiety perpetuates itself, and you know, I'm work on social media. It's just memes. Me, like basically, it's twenty four seven. It's twenty four seven every single yeah. second, and um, you know, everything everything that's going on, and then you're dealing with obviously other people and. You know, as I told you guys before, yes, like, so I, I have that history of OCD and agoraphobia. We had that happen when I was in high school. 
or like maybe the last year of high school, it was really terrible. Couldn't eat in restaurants. I, I couldn't, like, I would have full blown, couldn't take, couldn't take public transit, couldn't fly, couldn't eat, do car rides. I would like cook whole meals and like throw them out because I was so um, afraid. And I just couldn't cope with just like the reality of life, which is the idea that like our mortality is a part of being human. As I got recovered from that without any medication, I just did it through like therapy and self-actualization. You know, as I was saying, I'm like pretty happy with my coping mechanisms at this point, but it's still a challenge, I guess, at sometimes because you're dealing with, I'm also like a high energy affected person. I definitely have, I guess you could call them some kinds of abilities. I'm not the only person, but I, I'm incredibly susceptible to other people and uh, at the macro level and at the micro level and also out, outside of even human consciousness, I would say. So I have to just be pretty careful about what I expose myself to. And I've been finding right now too, like I do, I do like I'll watch like a horror movie, things like that, which I never was able to do. But I find right now too, it's like, yeah, it's a lot of people. It's a lot of calls. It's a lot of friends being like psychosomatic. Like, I don't know if you guys are experiencing that, but like I'm experiencing it on a yeah. personal level. My friends are experiencing it you know being like Mm -hmm. they're you know feeling tight in the chest they're feeling intense and so if i'm gonna be able to like support other people i have to also make sure i'm taking care of myself totally i really all great points yeah Yeah, i don't think you're alone in any of that so yeah it's an interesting uh well speaking to that i think this film definitely for anyone suffering from any sort of anxiety right now especially germ related this is definitely a movie to steer clear of. I mean, the opening montage is basically showing exactly all the points of contact that it spreads and then shows all the people and how quickly it spreads and everything. And I mean, you know, people are dying off within three days, I think basically kind of based on the trajectory of the virus in the movie. And yes, so definitely important to not watch this movie. <laughs> Try and take in more positive uh, media right now. Because as you're saying, I mean, we're all kind of, being bombarded by negativity. I agree. So, I, I can I can definitely say don't watch this movie. In fact, I might actually recommend. Yeah. Do, watch, <laughs> do not watch this. Movie. Once it's over, once it's Listen all to over, this podcast instead. Once it's yeah. all over, it'll be a different vibe, obviously. Yeah, but especially since just as a side little uh, bit of research that I did, that the virus in that movie is actually based on something similar that's been found in India. Uh, called the Neva virus, which has a much higher mortality rate, but is less easily transmissible. But that does cause like encephalitis, which is inflammation in the brain. And so that's what this has kind of all been based around. So I think that like taking that, not a great point of reference um, in terms of if you're already really being challenged by anxieties and bombardment of negativity and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like all the spiritual work really, really comes into play right now beyond like just meditating all the time mm-hmm. um, and just trying to be completely okay with, again, like completely okay with your own mortality. Anxiety is, a, is about like, you know, obviously you're trying to control the future. You're trying to see an outcome. You're trying to, you know, you have images of what you think is going to happen. And sometimes those images are super scary. Um, but recognizing that no matter what happens, that it's, that it is okay. Even if you did die, it, that it would be, that, that would be fine. And that it's like, I truly believe that the, the part of you that is afraid to die is ironically the part of you that does live forever. So it's mm. important to, you know, be aware of that. Some deep words, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for all of that sharing. Um, Barmak, let's get back to 
the the politics in this film. Yeah, I, I just thought it was interesting. I mean, you know, we've seen through the history of Hollywood um, how sex is always used as a plot point um, to intensify whatever um, emotions are being developed in the movie, whether that is fear or anticipation or, you know, I, I, I did think it was interesting watching this movie, which is, it's basically a series of beautiful women who are all at risk. Um, as you watch the film develop, it's from Gwyneth Paltrow, who very quickly goes from being at risk to dead very quickly, to um, Kate Winslet, who is a public health official, who is out there in the field at risk with people, also suffers a terrible end in the film to you know multiple multiple other people um the the beautiful marion cotillard mm -hmm. is uh, goes to hong kong to research you know how uh contagion began uh, gets kidnapped and yeah. um held hostage in mm -hmm. a star plot point by by people so there there are a lot of uh, damsels in distress in this and movie. even lorraine vasquez who plays the um, friend of jude law she mm -hmm. equally suffers we never see her die but i mean she you can assume as much that she suffers a pretty terrible fate the, yeah the pregnant, the pregnant journalist yes begging him for the for the purported cure um, for scythia mm -hmm. and yeah, and Jude Law, I mean, you could say a lot about his character and kind of the, the, the kind of the, the toxic male, like, loner on the internet who is, like, peddling kind of so-called truth out there. I mean, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of stuff to talk about here. Yeah, the opportunist, for sure. Yeah, I, I found it really interesting that, I mean, all the female characters, like, kind of suffer some pretty terrible fate in some way, shape, or form. Whereas all the men seem there are some male Matt Damon's character. You know, if you're going through the list, like Matt Damon survives, Jude Law survives, Lawrence Fishburne survives. Well, I guess maybe one question I'll just wonder, and this can be like based on our own experiences, like right now with everything happening, like do we see examples of this reinforcing gender roles or misogyny or toxic masculinity or anything like that? Or do we see there being some positive shifts? in terms of the dy dynamics between people generally. I'm just curious, it's a base that we're, we're kind of living contagion right now and seeing how in that film, uh, I mean, you, you get to points of like riots um, that we haven't really quite seen yet. Um, so it's a bit more extreme, but I'm wondering like right now we're in the early stages, just wondering if you've seen kind of like a difference in terms of social dynamics at all. <laughs> yeah, I think huge, 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 huge differences in social dynamics. Like I, I think that this is, not only does the planet need it because obviously what we're seeing from climate change and everything and all of those, like the fact that the emissions are down, waters are cleaner, like we're seeing those tangible effects from nature. So that's exciting. Mm -hmm. um, also, yeah, so we're not, people aren't flying as much. There's not enough cars, like there's all of those things. I think on top of that too, I think we have this idea of, of like evolution where first, okay, it's like dinosaurs and monkeys and then there's human beings. But if you think about it, there's a lot of evolutions that are going on all the time. And, uh -huh. and, and I would argue that even the human race has various degrees within it of what is happening. We're not just like one cohesive species. Like we're at different, different, there's different evolution, evolutionary stages going on that are still going on right now. And so I think that 
it's going to change the world. It's obviously, so for that reason, it is going to change the world in many senses because we're seeing a kind of forced elevation and mm-hmm. a kind of things that probably we do need. Like people need to be more, I think in general, self-sufficient in like, I think we need deeper skills. And at least for me, as someone who, again, has spent like a number of years single and like even last, I know it wasn't last Christmas, but basically the Christmas before that, I spent seven days by myself in my room pretty amazing and also challenging you know you get to a, like after like day three I was like on the ground crying and then you basically <laughs> realize that you're super strong and then you start to climb yourself back up you find the things that truly make you happy outside of anything like the amount of solitude that I've done is I, I probably more than except for maybe my roommate like more than any person I've ever met Mm-hmm. At, you know for for the most part um because i think that solitary work is fundamental to um it's fundamental to happiness to to everything that you would want to be your best self um so i'm i think that especially in toronto i think this is going to be a real game changer psychologically mentally emotionally for everybody because they're going to realize that like they don't need other people like they don't need the fomo they don't need like all the stuff that they've been pushing aside, all the stuff. And I can see it a lot uh, having been out there in the dating world. Most people, they're so desperate to fill their life with anything that they possibly can because the idea of being by themselves in their room scares them so fucking much that they can't even grapple with that concept. And I, I'm just like, yo, forced. And so I think people are going to make amazing art. We're going to see some incredible things just in terms of how people care about each other and also the strength, the inner strength that they really, really, really have. And this is the first time I think yet, like if I had to compare it to like a war or something, I would much rather this experience of fighting something that is not human. Um, Because I think the other thing that it'll do for people is hopefully they'll recognize that human beings are not the biggest fucking things in the world. We're not the only species that lives on earth. There's millions of life forms and organisms that are on this planet and they're doing their thing. And, Yes, we are up against one right now, but that's part of the risks of, of sharing this planet, you know? So mm. I think that hopefully it'll humble us a little bit mm. um, and, and allow us to recognize that, yeah, like there is other life and it's not just us. Yeah. Um, Thanks, Luca, by the way. That was, yeah, I really appreciate those thoughts. That's uh, definitely true. And I think it is a, hum- a humbling experience. Um, maybe also if we do survive this and when we do get over the period of isolation, maybe we'll really perhaps value um, the time that we get to spend in person with each other all the more. The time, the times that we're able to gather in groups and celebrate and be together and dance and party and, um, you know, maybe we'll just recognize how, how awesome that is and how important that is to just like human health. Um, Cause I think both things are important. I think, um, I think being with yourself and, um, and being in solitude in order to really know who you are is super important. And then also coming together and showing that authentic self to, to your community is also, is also just, I mean, we, we know, um, we know, we have all the numbers on, on how deadly loneliness is to, to health and, and early mortality and all of that. So maybe just like, we won't take it for granted as much getting together. Yeah, all really good points. I mean, maybe speaking from a place of being a bubble, sometimes I think it's, it's important for us to kind of really recognize to the bubble, being even just Toronto that we live in, 
compared to other places and how special I think the city is and like how special specifically like the community that you and I are part of Sarah and Luke I'm sure you have amazing communities mm -hmm. too but we're not necessarily in the same one um, and just kind of seeing the strength coming out of it in terms of people sharing skills we got to do like an online yoga session with friend of mine, Janine from New York, that was really lovely that it had 25 people, you know, doing some more dinners with people over laptops, uh, hopefully is coming in the future. And I mean, as someone that creates spaces and events for people to bring people together, um, to experience art and dance and all that kind of stuff. I mean, part of me is really hoping that people are being pushed in, into their stretch and their panic zones, obviously, right now, which are really hard places to be. I'm hoping that with like the stuff that the government's handing out to everyone that will all kind of be okay financially yes, for Canada. a little bit of time, you know, um, but, but hoping that people can, like I am, take this moment to be weirded out by having time and space mm -hmm. and suddenly not having to rush anywhere where we all kind of, you know, sometimes get recognized we're getting caught up in having too many things going on, too many mm -hmm. notifications, too many of all these things. And mm -hmm. that's suddenly quieted is a really, I love that space, but I can recognize as a, as probably an anxiety inducing space for other people. But I'm hoping that like, kind of what you're saying, Luca, and also somewhere what you're saying, Sarah, that people take time to like appreciate a bit of that. Mm -hmm. um, and that when we, when we do come out, from the other side because we will i i hope that you know it does really instill in people a bit of an appreciation for being more in the moment with people not simply just through uh texting calling people like sarah i called you two days ago mm -hmm. you know or i've called other people oh. which I've, I've always been a phone person but making maybe more phone calls or video calls than usual and then and by extension having us really appreciate physical touch, having us really appreciate being in spaces with each other that are not distracted by phones is, is my hope from this. That, I mean, as you are saying, Luca, that this is maybe another stage of evolution, that this is the heart attack that we maybe wake up to, to realize, oh, we have a lot to change um, and we need to change it because this is being forced upon us now and is bad but could be a lot worse. And, and we can make changes now to hopefully not get to a place where it is worse. Yeah. And I it's think that's what's going on in Canada yeah. right now. Like, I think people are nervous, but it's like with the state of emergency, maybe and all that stuff. But ultimately, I think it's protective. The school closures and all the stuff. It's like, I think we're trying to get ahead of it. 100%. That's what that's what is going on right now. I mean, like, that's, yeah. I mean, you're looking at a case like Italy, right? which is unique in terms of its, its, its uh, ratio of uh, elderly kind of folks comparatively to like Canada or something like that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's, it's, it is all these countries really trying to step up and there's always going to be criticisms that things weren't done fast enough or correctly mm -hmm. enough. But like, this is a super unique yeah, time. Like, yeah, yeah. And there's never going to be a perfect answer because you don't know how things are going to play out or spread. Yeah. You know, for us individually, I hope that it is, is a lesson that we can kind of use as a takeaway to, yeah, appreciate immediacy, appreciate being in the moment, appreciate one another mm -hmm. a little bit more and, and, and be pushed into our, as I said, comfort zones and panic zones to really appreciate everything that we do have. So, which is not necessarily related to contagion, but yeah. I think is a, maybe a more positive note to end on. And obviously would love to hear from our listeners to hear how they're doing, what are their experiences. And maybe, you know, obviously it's important to make space for struggles and challenges that we're all facing, but taking time to take a step back and try to 
see what positive can come out of this is, mm-hmm. is my hope for everyone because it's really easy to dwell on the negative. And, Definitely. and, and I think it's important if that's the kind of headspace that you're in then to try and reach out to friends, know that we do have people that we can count on that are here to help us. And that seeing how many people are pulling together to help each other. Like I got back into self quarantine and close friend of mine, James and the giant pasty. There's a plug for him. Amazing Canadian boylesque performer. Uh, went and picked up my groceries for me. And one of Steph's friends, Katie, went to pick up the groceries for her. And now we have groceries for two weeks. And like, so fortunate and humbled to have friends of ours around us that are willing to do that kind of stuff. Granted, everyone's like, I have tons of time, so I need stuff to do. <laughs> so understand that. But just that people are so generous, I think is kind of important for us to try and focus on more than, you know, all the negatives. So, mm-hmm. yep. And hey, awesome. even even in the movie Contagion, I mean, we're we're sharing spoilers, so <laughs> the world does survive. They it does vaccine, even though yeah. it's a super scary movie, and the the you know the disease in that movie is way worse than COVID. Uh, they mm-hmm. survive, so yeah. you know, maybe yeah. for us to remember. So I guess what we're trying to say is that uh, no matter if you're watching a film about uh, a deadly disease or the apocalypse sex and gender is always mixed in it's always bleeding its way in there and it's always ratcheting up the tensions that are already there uh, on screen and there's no way to separate it in film either i mean there's always intention behind everything and it comes back to i mean as you were saying sarah like what were they trying to say with the opening with gwyneth's character and then how does that define the rest of the film? And I think that's mm-hmm. important for us always to keep in mind when we're thinking about gender politics in all of the films that we watch, especially the ones we're consuming these days. Well, that's a wrap on episode three. Make sure you subscribe to us on Spotify or Apple Music. You can follow Sarah on Twitter at Sarah Barmack, Luca on Instagram at MNTNTP, and me, Richard, on the old Insta at that rotter. And straight up, we'd love to hear back from all of you, our listeners. These discussions aren't always black and white and are completely multifaceted. So please add to the discussion with your comments, questions, or even your compliments on our Instagram page. And we'll do our best to get back to you as soon as possible. Thanks for listening to Goodfellas. <laughs>